Hey there, welcome to Dirt Rich, seasonal conversations on food and farming. I'm Katie Federal, the communications director for the Sustainable Farming Association. And you know, I really want to say that it's spring and the weather is warming, but of course we're getting these April Minnesota snows. Regardless, Zachary Page of North Circle Seeds is back on the show today to help us prepare for seed saving in our gardens and on our farms. Zachary and North Circle Seeds are up in Vergas, Minnesota, and he's also a member of the Lake Agassiz chapter of SFA and a board delegate. He's got some tips for planning ahead, he's going to walk us through some seed saving processes for a few different plants, and he's got some colorful stories too. Let's get to it. Hey Zach, welcome back to Dirt Rich. How's it going, Katie? Good, good. How are you doing? Good, good to be here. Thanks for returning. I'm just going to start right off with the big question why we're even having this episode. Why is it important to plan the layout of your garden or your plot for planting for seed saving? Well, yeah, there's uh, there's some um, considerations to take into account when you're planting for your garden for seed saving rather than just gardening. And one of the biggest uh, factors is spacing, um, like... If you're planting lettuce, um, a good way to plant typically if you're just growing as a gardener or even as, as a farmer, um, you'll plant lettuce. I'll plant them as close as eight inches apart or maybe even closer. So you're kind of like covering the weeds that way, um, the weed layer. But when you're saving seed, um, you'll want to make sure that you'll have enough space for the whole uh, plant to grow out as it comes to physiological maturity. It's a big word of just um, the plant is going to expand in different ways um, when it's going to seed. So when a lettuce goes to seed, it grows up to like three feet tall and this these shoots come out and the flowers and I guess uh, it's what's called this bolting. So you want to be able to keep enough space in your garden for things like that um, as a plant goes to seed it might change its form. Um, so that so spacing is a, is a big consideration as one. Um, another thing to consider is trellising. So just like the lettuce, uh, you'll want to trellis those uh, flower stalks that come up because they could easily weigh down and fall to the ground, and that wouldn't be good for something like lettuce, which is a dry seed. You want to keep it dry. Um, that's the way it stays most viable. So you'll at some point want to get some stakes and um, and some rope and just kind of interweave them so they're just up. And we'll get into biennial um, flowers and seeds later on, but same thing with carrot. Carrot flower is um, really beautiful, one of the most beautiful flowers, I think. And it's the same exact plant as Queen Anne's lace. So if you've seen that. Um, you'll actually want to chop it down because you don't want to have a uh, uh, crossing. But yeah, so spacing's huge, trellising, and then um, a big consideration, of course, is where you get your seed from, your seed stock. You want to get it from a trusted source or somebody that you know has good seed saving practices and seed storage. Um, but you know, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, and if it does, it does. But you want to be able to kind of know if you're doing, if you're doing a lot of seed saving, uh, you don't want to have half your garden not come up. So, um, so yeah, just choosing reputable sources for your seed and then choosing open pollinated seed versus hybrid. I think we talked about that at the last podcast, so I won't get into that too much, but open pollinated seed is a type of seed that you could save seed. That's going to be true to type year after year. Um, so just making sure you get the right kind of seed and then, um, yeah, seed that you th- know on the back of a seed packet, it's typically going to say what that germination percent was for that year. So we do seed germination tests every year and uh, provide that accurate number of a four replicated four test of, a, of 100 seeds and average it. So it's a very accurate um uh, estimate of what's going to come up. So if you turn over that packet and uh, there's a legal amount, which is usually around the 70 to 80%, which is kind of low. But if you see 87% versus 99%, then you kind of have an idea of like, maybe I should sow this a little bit thicker. Um, 
So there's that consideration, which is just also a, just a good consideration for gardening. And another one is just choosing um, open pollinated, but also uh, outcrossing varieties uh, carefully. So there's about five different, four or five cucurbits with, uh, within the squash family that you actually can grow in seed safe that won't cross with each other, which you might normally not think like a melon and a cucumber won't cross with each other, they're two different species, as well as a pumpkin and a winter squash. Pumpkins, cucurbita papo, which is one species of summer squash, like you got your zucchinis and patty pans, and that's all cucurbita papo. And then you have your cucurbita maxima, which is a winter squash, the blue hubbards, your acorns. So if you grow one per species, just one, uh, they won't cross amongst themselves. So if you don't want unexpected crossing of pollination and mixing of traits, then just pick one of each of those species as well as any other outcrossing species. And then it'll stay true to type. On the other hand, if you want to have some fun and have some like red squash and then have some green squash and, you know, try to create a red green striped hybrid, you know, something that tastes in between or amazing or new and just get creative, then by all means, put all your open pollinated seeds together. And squash is a is a great one to have some fun with. So, um, so yeah, those are some uh, ideas and considerations for uh for planning for seed saving and then i suppose if you want to start thinking really ahead if you're a if you're a long-term planner um thinking about start start to think about when you might be harvesting those crops and then um maybe preparing by purchasing any necessary materials but you could do seed saving with a box fan and a bucket so and some water <laughs> <laughs> and some air and some you know is a 10,000 year old tradition. So people don't need too much to get the seeds to dry down and get them clean. That, that's excellent. I had, I don't know, I'd seen pictures, I guess, of uh, North Circle Seeds equipment and, and seen some other things online that made it look like it might be really complex. But that's yeah. a great reminder that like, hey, this isn't a new thing. People have been doing this since long before all yeah, of this equipment. Exactly. So Yeah, it's only complex. I mean, it gets complex or we make it complex because we're saving so much as a seed company. We're saving um, maybe 30, 40 different species. Um, so we want to be able to do that efficiently and quickly. And, you know, we're doing a lot. So anything that could help make that more efficient um, is great. So we've got sets of seed screens and we've got um, winnow wizard machines blowing the seeds at a very uh, exact amount so we can save the best quality and the, the heaviest seed, which is the most dense or probably um, the most uh, vigorous seed. So we go above and beyond with trying to get equipment and things that work well, but it's still kind of on the cheaper side long if you think about like big ag where there's million dollar pieces of equipment. I mean, We've ours are in the hundreds or low thousands, so it's it's still a relatively uh, you could do a lot with a little kind of thing, even even where we're at, I think. Well, okay, so we got spacing, we got trellising, we got you know planning out which kind of seeds to use. Um, is are there any other preparations that we could be doing at this point in the season to save seed for later? Uh, what are you focused on right now at North Sickle Seeds? Um, so I just had an epiphany, like I don't need to grow every variety every year. <laughs> um, ah. if, if you have good seed storage, uh, so I'm trying to up my seed storage game. Um, so I've been chatting with a bunch of different seed companies cause I, I'm just a chatty person. So I just like to talk with people that have done it before, um, instead of reading <laughs> that's the way I, I don't know that's just the way i learn i just just have conversations with people that have done it um and kind of have that mentor relationship and then um you know hopefully like i'll have interns and people that are interested in learning from me eventually and you know pass that on but um so what i've been learning though is just 
pretty simple. I kind of knew most of it is just keep seeds cool, dark and dry and relative humidity plus temperature um, should equal less than 100. That's uh, seeds um, thrive in that environment and they don't like a lot of fluctuation, especially in moisture, but also temperature. So to keep them in a constant environment is good, like like a root cellar, but just make sure it's dry. So maybe with a dehumidifier. So I don't have anything like that right now. And I, what I'm planning on doing is getting a refrigerator. And people have been talking about these defrost cycles, because if it, if it has a defrost cycle, it'll actually go up in temperature a little bit, a few degrees um, because it has to heat up the sidewalls even in a fridge I thought maybe that was just for a freezer but but yeah I, I stuck a thermometer in there and I'm thinking maybe it's not so bad it's only a few degrees so I think I might be okay with it um, but maybe some of them maybe watch out for and stick a thermometer in there this place called Rototronic sells really great hum um, testing of uh, the relative humidity in the air a lot of the cheap, um, I think it's called a hygrometer. <laughs> I might be saying it wrong, but some of the cheap hygrometers um, are up to 30% wrong. Um, but the Rototronic one, it's 100 bucks, you know, pretty penny, but it is assured up to only 3% one, or, one way or another. So that's really good, and we just went with that, and... Yeah, then we were really easily able to tell whether the temperature in Fahrenheit plus that humidity is less than 100. And if it is, we're all good. And I'll store the seeds in the fridge. And the, the moisture actually is pretty high. So what you can do is, in my case, what I'm going to do is um, make sure they're really dried down and pack them in a dry day and also throw a few silica gel packets in. And... Um, throw them in the fridge and then they're it's not like a freezer so you still you still don't want to disturb them too much but um you can take them out maybe every few months or maybe every year so that's our plan is to make sure the seeds store as long as possible um so then we could do grow outs of different things every second third and fourth year before we have to grow out those seeds again and they'll still remain viable above 90%, 95% for at least two or three years. So that's one thing to consider is like, if you are like a crazy seed saver like me, or you do want to grow, grow out a lot of, and try out a lot of different varieties, but also want to have your seeds um, viable, um, then maybe think about long-term storages or medium-term. But the other way to do it is just throw them in your closet um, and just, maybe <laughs> maybe check on them a little bit but um but they'll do okay if they're just like in a dark place uh for the most part anyway that didn't really answer the question too much <laughs> um but that's what i'm considering right now that's what's on my mind but the other thing is just um because we don't have to grow like 10 different or 20 different tomato species then with the four or five that I'm growing, I could grow more of those, which is important to me because I want to be able to select the best of the best. And if I do have to grow 20 varieties, then it's like, am I really selecting if it's only like 30 or 40 plants? Like I want to grow 200 of one species or 300 of one species and then really super select and get the best yield, the most disease free and really be able to uh, have high performing uh, seeds year to year and do um, really intense selections and when I do grow those out again then I'll have that super seed the best seed that was in there for the next time so that's something oh. I'm considering too is yeah if you grow more of some of one thing uh, if you're attached to a certain type of tomato or something like that and you want to be able to share seeds or share the best of those seeds then you could you yourself could actually keep the best of the best and just give everybody else like the you know still the best but not quite that high and then th that way then you'll have uh really qu high quality seeds that you could keep growing and sharing with other people too 
Okay, that is a big epiphany. It sounds like if you had, you know, 20 that you're growing at the same time, the time it would take you to get to that super seed or even like a very high quality seed with the qualities you wanted. Yeah. It would take so long. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like a totally. much faster way to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I like the super seed idea. It's actually probably more efficient overall. But if you want a really super diverse garden, you know, there's nothing wrong with that too. And just um, you know, a lot of CSA market gardeners love growing, you know, and they have to grow all sorts of different types of varieties and things. And that's great too, because the benefit of that is then you get to taste a lot of different things and think, which one do I like the best? So it's kind of benefits of both. Yeah, I really like how, I mean, just the... I guess, diversity of the ways that you can approach seed saving that you've described, you know, today so far, and then in our last episode, it sounds like you could really enter this at any stage or for any reason, you know, from just like doing a little home garden thing to, you know, farming as a seed collective and everything in between and beyond. Yeah, Um, totally. You can dig in as much as you want, which I really, yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, and some of these like self-pollinating species. So self-pollinating, you don't have to worry about the other um, plants surrounding it. Like it's not going to cross-pollinate. So tomato and beans and lettuce, these are all seeds that are easily saved, and you don't have to you don't have to worry about the the potential crossing either. So I saw Nurse Circus Seeds in the news a few days ago. I think you were in the land. Yeah. And I was really interested in the tomato seed saving process that you described in there briefly. I think like it sounded, you know, fun actually to me. And I think like eight-year-old Katie would also have had a lot of fun (laughs) with that. And so, yeah, I was wondering if you could tell us a bit more about, yeah, the tomato seed saving process and then maybe how it is or isn't kid-friendly, maybe other uh seeds are like a family activity um to be saving yeah i think yeah tomatoes for sure would definitely be a fun and it's like learning experiment um you get to see something rot (laughs) but then you you get to see something rot that's like you're making it moldy for Mm -hmm. like on purpose (laughs) and it's a good thing (laughs) yeah it's smelly at first but then it's cool because you're kind of dripping off all the moldy tomato guts (laughs) so yeah if you're doing it on a big scale you harvest a bunch of tomatoes um you know you could select them like i do or and then the, the other thing about selection is um, let's we could talk about tomato is it's not the tomato fruit that you're selecting so much as the plant so um, so yeah so if you find like the most amazing representative tomato of that variety like if it's wisconsin 55 it's like this perfect like baseball tomato um but the plant looks all like raggedy and diseased and you know it's the only fruit on that plant that made it then mm-hmm. perhaps that's not the best one. And sometimes it's kind of tempting with corn. You'll find like the perfect cob or one of the best cobs. But then you look at the plant and it's like it's lodged and there's a little rust on it. And the plant is kind of, um, yeah, it's just not the best uh, physiological structure. It only has one cob instead of two. Maybe you're supposed to have two for that variety. And, so that's a big consideration is just look at the whole plant when you're seed saving as well and okay. how that plant is, is doing in the environment. But yeah, so you're, you're saving your tomato, uh, you, you selected them, you have them in your basket, and then you can um, throw them all into a bucket. And then Greg Reynolds taught me this is like, you got a big stick <laughs> Um <laughs> There's actually big fun sticks at Menards. So this could be something of a family activity if you go to the <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the tool store. Um, they actually sell like really big, uh, thick sticks that are like three feet long that are like two and a half inches wide. So they're just good smasher sticks. So you're just smashing the tomato. And I actually have a bunch of them because I don't want to mix my sticks with the different varieties because then oh. seeds might stick to one of them. So 
Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you're smashing up your tomatoes in the in the bucket itself, and then you could add a little bit of water, and then you're basically waiting, and then that water will turn a little white um, with a little white mold, and then you pretty much know you're done. It'll take about four days in the summer give or take could be like three or five or six depending on the weather the hotter it is the faster it goes um and then your water winnowing you're basically winnowing out the all the tomato parts uh will rise to the top and the seeds are dense so they'll fall to the bottom so you could give it a good spin with the stick and add some more water and shoot some more water in there to get a little agitation and then pour it out into your compost, um, but not pour it all out, pour out like half and then add more water and then pour out half and then keep going. And then eventually you're just like clean water and clean seeds. It's just magic. And then you could pour out the rest of the seeds into a screen and then onto a wax paper or something like that, parchment paper. And then with parchment paper, you, I put them in a dehydrator without the heat. Um, and that way it doesn't kill the seeds seeds will die if they're like above 100 degrees they are living so you don't want to heat seeds to dry them you just want to blow air on them so once they're completely dry and you kind of learn that by doing it um just looking at them you can kind of tell if they're completely dry i usually dry things most seeds for two weeks straight and then determine if they're dry or not after the two weeks so if they need another week and then they need another week. And then I also try packaging seeds on a dry day itself. Um, and then you never really want to like Ziploc seeds when it's like a humid day out. Just because there's so much humidity in the air. And that's when you'll maybe want to throw a few silica gel packets in just to be sure. Because that'll suck out any extra moisture that might actually just be in that bag or be in that jar. But yeah, tomatoes is a fun one to save. And then I'd say the other the other really fun one is multicolored popcorn um, or multicolored corn in general. Uh, we sell the Magnificent and um, it's just like a Christmas present when you <laughs> unwrap the <laughs> uh, corn. You get to see the different colors and they're all different each time. So that one could be a fun one with kids too. Ah, that's awesome. Yeah, I think... I don't know. I'm just picturing your little like library of different tomato smashing sticks, and yeah, oh, yeah. this just sounds like a blast. <laughs> yeah, you could like name the sticks. You could be like this. One, this one's smashy, and this one's uh... ah, it's such a colorful process. This is really interesting. Yeah, um, I'm wondering, does the mold is that serving a purpose in this process, or is it just like the time it takes for things to kind of separate out in your bucket, or it um so when you squeeze a tomato into your hand you'll never do that in real life but if you do it in the imaginary podcast life um you would um know that the seeds are they're surrounded by this what this is like gelatinous kind of goopy protective coating Mm -hmm. so a tomato is warm and wet it's a it's all the things that a seed would want to germinate in so that goop is actually the anti-germination goop so you have to get rid of it oh. in order to dry down the seed and have it usable for a seed. So so basically it's just fermenting off that layer and then it adds a okay. beneficial bacteria to it. So it's kind of doing two things at once. Nature's amazing. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah. Some people think you have to do that with squash, but you don't. I've never done it. But you do have to do it with cucumbers also. So you have to do that same process with cucumber seed. Or you could just let them dry out. And that works too. But it's just, it doesn't get as clean of a result. Um, you might, they'll start mm. sticking to each other. And it's just kind of more messy. Um, so I'd recommend the fermentation way. All right. Well, you've, you've mentioned squash and tomatoes. Uh, why don't you talk us about some of like the the more popular species to save and maybe walk us through a couple so people can get an idea of how all the processes differ? Yeah, um, I think probably the easiest seeds to save for a beginner and be exciting for like a new seed saver is 
something like arugula. Um, it might come as a surprise, like that seems like kind of random, but arugula is super easy to grow. Um, you literally just sprinkle it on the tilled soil and it grows really well. And then grow a lot of it so you can enjoy some of it. Um, and then just let the other third or fourth go. Just don't even touch it really. And then I'll, you'll see these really amazing stalks start to grow up. Um, and if you plant it earlier in the spring, you really just don't need to do anything. You just watch it. And you you do want to weed around it so there's not other bigger weeds in the way when you seed safe. But mm -hmm. then at the end of the season, around September, um, you just literally cut these stalks and put them into a bin and then step on them and like have a little dance <laughs> and that's a little fun thing to do with your family too is uh there's always dancing involved with seed saving so oh. you could the seeds are so small they're not going to be crushed they're too dense so you could jump on them and what that does is you're you're threshing you're threshing the the shaft from the seed and the seeds out and just like the tomato the seeds are always dense more dense than their parts around it, the shaft around it, or the pod, or the sticks, or the stalk. And they're mm -hmm. always more lightweight, too. So to clean it, you just run a box fan on a chair, and then you have your one bucket above and one bucket below, and just find the right speed so your seeds don't blow away, too. Um, maybe start on low, and then you'll see that the shaft all blows away and then the seeds will fall into the bucket below. And then you have clean seed. Um, and you can keep running that process with the fan until okay. it gets cleaner and cleaner. But I'd say like something like a dry seed is easier because you're not messing with water. You're not messing with time. You're just letting it dry down in the field itself. And I'd say squash is probably, it's, I think squash is like one of those like survival foods. Like you could survive off just squash <laughs> oh, <laughs> if you wow. needed okay. to, if you're, if you're thinking about this, like zombie apocalypse, you know, or just want to rely on your own garden for food, um, pick and find a squash that you really like. Uh, maybe do that thing where you're growing a bunch of them just so you could taste, taste, test them all and find one that you like. And then, because squash will store well just in your house. And then you're kind of seed saving as, uh, as you go too. So it's not that it's a big ordeal. Like you have to seed save all the squash seeds at once. You could have them all lined up in your house. And that's the place to store them is 50 to 60 degrees or higher and then you're just start uh drying them down as you eat the squash every time and you're just th after they're dried you could throw them into a paper bag and have a special place for them and just keep adding to that bag and then you got your squash seeds for the next year um but you do want to dry them down you want to have that time just as like the tomato and everything else like two weeks of airflow on them and Move them around. Don't put them in the oven um, to dry them if you want to plant them. And I guess one rule that I've learned is don't double layer the squash. So always keep just like one layer. Because if you double layer, even in a day or two, seriously, it will make mold. It's crazy wow. how fast that happens. Um, so the one way around is just never double layer seeds that are drying and and move them around twice a day if you can gosh well i have brought up you know just kind of like oh is this something you can do with your kids or in your backyard and things but are there um considerations for people who are doing this at like a market gardener level or or larger scale um that they should be considering as well yeah i would say like just yeah pick out those self-pollinated plants that you like like tomatoes um some people say tomatoes cross with each other at and they do a little bit, but it's self-pollinating enough, um, if, unless you're really particular. But um, but yeah, I'd pick out a few of those to do, like your favorite ones, because then it's kind of like a marketing thing too. You could, you'll probably save 
save money on seed sales is number one is sometimes seed sales are for a even like a CSA farm could get up to a couple thousand dollars. So if you're saving a couple hundred bucks and seed sales of uh, the price of seeds have gone up a lot in the last just two years because of COVID and I've seen seeds. I mean, they're hybrid seeds and they're very particularly bred, but $70 for 20 seeds. I've seen that. I have oh never seen that ever. And I asked a few friends like, is this, a thing like is this normal like I'm, i've never seen that so as seed sale prices go up which they are already um just in the few years we've started um i thought four dollars was high when i started and a few people were like yeah it's on the higher end but you know we're organic and we're um selling regionally adapted seed which is also two huge pluses and we're using soil health practices um so we're like okay like you know you'll Maybe spend the extra dollar for good quality regionally adapted seed from um, communities in Minnesota. But now I've seen organic seed up to $5. So it's like, oh, we're on the lower end now. (laughs) So it's just in like two years. So, um, but it's a, it's a good thing to get into because yeah, because of that, um, you'll be, the more seed saving you do, if you're a farm, the more money you're saving. Uh, so it's it makes sense on that level alone. And then sometimes you'll see if you have a variety that you really like, um, once it's adapted to your micro region, your farm, you'll see higher yields and, and um, a reflection of just the, the action that you're doing, the relationship that you're growing with that seed. Um, it'll kind of come back around where um, that seed will provide back for you. I think I like to think so. And then you could talk about it in that way too. It's like these seeds are um, we're, we're growing on our farm and, and you kind of have a story behind that. So you're kind of telling people about um, what you're doing and it's not just about just buying in every year with inputs. It's like, we're actually sustainable. We're actually sustaining ourselves in these ways. And, if it's only a few uh, species or if it's only a few crops, like, so be it. But you could play that up, right? <laughs> you could say, like, this is, you know, like, mm-hmm. this is the North Circle seed squash. Gosh darn it. And we love this darn thing. <laughs> and we save it. We've been saving it for 50 years and or even, like, you know, 15 years sounds like a good accomplishment. And, and it is. So even those smaller stories, I think, uh, are inspiring to people that are visiting uh, your farm or just um, at the market looking for something that's interesting. So I think telling that story is uh, so it could be a selling point. I totally agree. I think we've seen so much just even in the past year alone of examples that like people really are looking for those stories and that authenticity and like real examples of, this is how I'm stewarding the land rather than, um, I don't know, people are more skeptical of greenwashing. And so yeah, um, sets you apart from that noise and offers some real examples. Yeah. And one way to do that, that uh, a friend of mine, Owen Taylor from uh, True Love Seeds uh, does is they highlight and honor and uh, showcase the ancestral history of all the people that grow seeds for him, which has inspired me to do some of that um, in a smaller way. That's his whole thing. So he's really embraced that. But it, it's um, it's empowering um, and energizing to grow food from all of our... We all have diverse backgrounds. And I think it's something that can be really authentic um, to find that identity within each other uh, because we all have Mm -hmm. such interesting backgrounds um, of like what are uh, cultural foods and what were important to our grandparents and our great grandparents um, and to try out some of those foods um, and food's fun (laughs) cultural food is fun new food is fun so uh, it's just another fun way uh, to interact with our past and our present and to share um, one of the seeds that 
excited me is the Ahi Dulce and that's formed new relationships. Uh, somebody reached out from Indiana and said, Hey, like I'm from Puerto Rico too. And we grow that seed and it's actually a pretty hard seed to find, uh, generally the Ahi Dulce pepper. And okay. We found it on the USDA, which is like the last resort, (laughs) (laughs) which is, you know, it's a good resource for breeders and people wanting to find rare things, um, open pollinated varieties. But those seeds didn't grow out too well. They were like too old. And we did Mm -hmm. find a few sources from Puerto Rico, uh, but we weren't able to get those seeds because of seed laws, uh, phytosanitary certificates and all that. But she was oh, like, wow. I got seeds. <laughs> uh, we've been saving them for a while. Would you like some? I'm like, oh, man, like that's such a nice gesture. And oh. let's start trading seeds and talking about, you know, what we can make with these ahe peppers. And so, yeah, I make the um, I made pasteles with them um, with um, pork a few years ago. And I bought them with my granny who's from puerto rico her mom was from there and she was telling me about how her mom would always buy those peppers and those were the peppers from puerto rico and she remembered them and so it's just kind of it's fun to kind of bring it all back around and embrace um the foods of her of her past and and um and eat well and it's always fun to kind of show grandma too, like, hey, granny, yeah. look what I did. <laughs> oh. We grew the peppers and then I was able to, you know, kind of give her a few of those peppers back too. And so that's, that's fun. And then. Oh my gosh. That's yeah. beautiful. So that would be a, that would be um something, something that you could do this year different than last year to kind of keep things, um, keep things interesting is grow something new from from your uh, and if you and if you're like from like I've got like Jewish ancestry and like we ate a lot of beets <laughs> like boar mm-hmm. soup and like maybe that's not too exciting though like just maybe find something else <laughs> <laughs> but beets are really good but um but just uh you could be choosy too and pick you know pick within your your cultural background too as well absolutely i was gonna say i know some pretty big beet fans out there so oh, yeah. <laughs> that no, I, like I guess like i think if you're eating like borscht soup like every day for like years then it would get not exciting but there's a lot of fun oh, things yeah. to do with beets all about context for sure <laughs> yeah gosh well are we, are we ready to shift to biennials sure yeah Oh, when you had mentioned biennials, I think on the last episode, or maybe as we were preparing for it, I was really surprised at the process behind it, even just a sneak peek at that. So um, I'll just let you talk about it a bit and maybe use a species or two as an example. Yeah, so carrots is, is, uh, carrots is a biennial that I started getting comfortable with pretty early on because that was one that I started saving about seven years ago with the early scarlet horn carrot and with the carrot particularly um you harvest and line them all up uh all of them when you have your big carrot harvest and you and you could wait and i think it's actually i think it's way better to wait as long as you possibly can uh because then the there's less less storage time which is huge um the carrots will get bigger which is nice Um, they'll get sweeter, which is also nice. Um, and the only minus is the potential damage mice or other. So just Mm -hmm. be on the lookout for that stuff. Um, but keep, yeah, keep an eye out for, for any, um, slugs. I even had slugs go through my cab, uh, my, um, carrots and they ate all the tops off and like the tops of the carrots like freaking slugs like (laughs) really and then uh yeah that wasn't a good year but uh you'll have yeah if you line up all your carrots choose like the 30 best or the 50 best now for seed saving i like to 
for a, uh, a wide genetic pool of of a cross pollinated species, you do want something like over like fifty. So mm-hmm. I kind of go and double that just because I'm you know want to be sure. But you'll be fine with thirty, um, thirty to fifty somewhere in there. But you don't want to just save like one or two because it's not enough. It's not enough for that population genetics to thrive year to year to year. It'll get inbred. So as a population, you need a certain amount. So maybe we'll say 30 as a minimum. Um, So you save those top 30 carrots and choose the biggest ones. You could eat the rest. um, And you can cut the top off about a half an inch from like, so there's like a green part, for, uh, only a half an inch now sticking okay. up or half an inch to an inch, but you don't want to go too close. Cause that's a growing point of the carrot. So you could get a paper bag from a grocery store, line it with wood chips about three inches, then line up your carrots on that bag, like three carrots or four carrots just so they're not touching, you could go bot, like head to toe, toe to head, and pour some more wood chips. Do it again. Pour some more wood chips. Do it again, and then I sprinkle like a little bit of water in there, like maybe like a few cups, like one cup, two cup. the the wood The wood chips will soak up a lot of water, so maybe like a pint. Put a pint of water in that bag, and then put that bag roll it up so it's closed and then put that bag in a garbage bag, like a black garbage bag, and then poke a bunch of holes in that bag and then close that bag up and then put that bag (laughs) into (laughs) a fridge that's like, I mean, ideally like 34 degrees, but a normal fridge will do. And that's it then they're good and check up on them like maybe like a few months in just make sure but if they're in a fridge that's like 34 degrees they're gonna be completely fine and then when you wake them up right around now april um or maybe a little later because you want to just when you get them out you want to plant them so you'll see that they're they're starting to sprout so the top of the carrot is starting to grow the flower stalk which is a good sign. And then, yeah, you just bury your carrot just like it's planted again. And you have to do that in Minnesota. It just gets too cold. The carrots would turn to mush. Um, Mm -hmm. It's not like garlic. It won't overwinter. I mean, I suppose if you had like three feet of mulch on top or something like, yeah, maybe it's possible, but I wouldn't mess with it. Um, If you take out the carrot the first year to grow it, the second year it's called the steckling, which is kind of a funny word. Like so we it. have these stecklings. Um, we've got stecklings of carrots in the fridge. It's like, <laughs> how nerdy can we get? Like, <laughs> uh, stecklings of carrots and kale and collards. So biennial, by definition, means takes two years to flower. So um, something like a kale plant will produce those mustard color flowers, those uh, famous yellow flowers. And you'll get hundreds of flowers and thousands of seeds and you'll have as much kale seeds as you'll ever need. And then you have like something like beets and onions is a similar story. Um, But they all kind of have their specific um, storage conditions that they like, like onions. You don't want to get them too. Well, my onions actually did okay when they were below freezing. So, but yeah, just, um, you can just be sh- careful that it's not getting too cold for any of these storage crops. Like a root cellar would do just fine. Right, yeah. That's kind of what I was thinking. Is like, all right, you need <laughs> a second fridge more than likely, you know, or you just like don't eat refrigerated food for yeah. <laughs> nine months. Like I'm saving yeah. my stecklings. We don't eat <laughs> food. Um, yeah, root storage would be fine. I've got the... Uh, benefit of using walk-in fridges at other places so mm-hmm. yeah yeah it does sound like a good opportunity to like make friends maybe the sort of the seed collective kind of comes in where you can share some equipment there and share some space yeah definitely and um this is a project actually if anybody's out there i'm thinking of and 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 saves biennial seed um or wants to 
I'm thinking of a project to optimize uh, biennial uh, storage, stuckling storage space for the specific crops. So onions and beets and carrots, they all like a, kind of a particular temperature. Um, so one idea is like getting a walk-in and actually like heating it and from the inside because okay. it's Minnesota, it's negative 30 out, negative 40 out sometimes, which is really bad. But mm-hmm. if you have a little heater, then you could keep it at 33. Oh, are you talking about like not even necessarily having the walk-in like plugged in? So right, speak, yeah. Like just this like, thing wouldn't cool. Or just like throw a walk-in like onto the field. Got it. And I mean, wow. maybe not that far out, closer to an electricity <laughs> source, but the walk-in's just isolated outside. Mm-hmm. Or anything that's insulated that you want to just ruin with stecklings. But <laughs> but yeah, this idea of like heating a space rather than uh, having electricity cool it. So that's another idea. Yeah. How can people uh, reach out to you for if they're interested in that, if they have questions about any, any seed saving? <laughs> yeah, feel free to reach out about... You know, beginning seed saving questions, anything. Um, I'm trying to do as many educational workshops as possible. Uh, we've reached out to co-ops. Um, I think Seward Co-op, we might be doing some Zoom seed saving 101s that'll be available. After COVID, post-COVID, like outside uh, masks or however it works, um, that'd be great to do on-farm demos and... We're gonna. I'm, I'm gonna try to do at least one a year at our farm and set up a space for that. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but maybe maybe eventually we'll do like a multi-day uh, event. But I would say at least once a year, one day a year, we could do a bunch of seed saving here in Vergas, Minnesota, Northwest, and kind of go through the whole process of saving a bunch of different varieties. But yeah. Best way to reach us is uh, Zachary at NorthCircleSeeds.com. And that's our website. So you can find that contact info there, NorthCircleSeeds.com. And yeah, we're, we're like fairly active on Facebook. <laughs> um, we've got like a few pictures, but like if you like go back uh, to last year's pictures, uh, you could kind of get an idea of you know, what, what we're up to and... Yeah, how things look um, with the different species that we have. That is great. Lots of good resources there. Yeah. So to wrap up, just for fun, um, you know, I'm thinking about how one of the end goals of seed saving is, you know, culinary. Like we want to keep growing plants that have the right flavors or, you know, desired flavors or textures. Um, So in parting, I was wondering if you could just like tell us about a great meal that you had lately that was uh, from saved seed in some aspect. I think the most fun that I have is with all the hot peppers um, and not, and I could see through the seed sales that not everybody agrees with me <laughs> <laughs> because they're not selling <laughs> that oh, well, <laughs> but I like hot peppers, so I don't care. Um, so I just grow as many that I like. And my favorite is the, both the Chile Darable and the Katarina pepper. I think I just put those into like, almost everything um the chili dare bowl is like i think it's just like the quintessential like hot red pepper um but it's got more flavor than what you'd buy at the store is like red pepper flakes um okay i think so i think it's got like more of a smoky distinct uh interesting flavor and it's a little lighter like i feel like red pepper is like kind of like it's more of like a musty like darker hotness but I feel like the chili durable is like kind of like an more of like an airy, like light, hot. And it still gets really hot. Like if you put a bunch of that, if you even put three of those peppers into something, it'll get a nice heat. So that's that's a nice uh, plant that keeps on giving because like if you dry down the peppers and you've got maybe 40 peppers per plant um, mm. and you grew five plants, it's like you're you're set for a year or two if you dry them down because um, you might not only need one per meal. 
so that's one that I really enjoy. Um, I think another one is the butternut squash soup. Um, that's one of the bigger sellers and that's just classic. <laughs> if you make it a good is. butternut squash soup, you could like make a bunch of it and freeze it or, um, give it to friends and family. So everybody likes butternut squash soup, I think. Oh, I've got one more favorite. I just remember. And that's a part of why I like garden because my, a goal of mine for a while was, uh, to grow everything in gazpacho soup and my granny oh. would make the best gazpacho soup and i've got the recipe if anybody wants it <laughs> but i'm not just gonna yeah. give it out but if you <laughs> ask for it i'll give it out but um but it's yeah it's just like it's literally like everything in the garden so it's such like a nice thing to eat during the summer because it's like i did it like i grew all those tomatoes and those cucumbers and peppers and garlic goes into it it's like doesn't sound like it's like the most tasty thing to have in a cold soup but it's so refreshing um and it's interesting people either love it and are extremely addicted to it like a few people that I, i've given it to and then there's some people just like oh my god it's like garlic soup is disgusting <laughs> so it's like You'll get these two different camps and you're either in the garlic cold soup camp or you're not, but it's really refreshing. And I think um, that's a good one because there's so many garden vegetables that go into it. There's like four or five. So Right. We have pizza gardens, salsa gardens. Yeah. It sounds like we can have a gazpacho, gazpacho garden. garden. And cucumbers. I should mention cucumbers, like the, the star of this so it's not just garlic. I I overdo the garlic, but it's mainly a cucumber tomato cold soup. So that sounds a little bit more refreshing, I think. Wow. Gosh, well, this has been great. Plenty of good resources, uh, some kind of like hunger going on after talking about all that food. Um, thank you so much for your time. And thanks for being on Dirt Rich today. Yeah, thank you. Dirt Rich is produced by the Sustainable Farming Association. We believe that agriculture, done well, heals. For more resources or to tap into the Farmer to Farmer Network, visit us at sfa-mn.org.